Hello, I'm Rachel Sandbrooks. I'm a writer and comedian, and this is the Stand By Your Nan podcast. I've been a wild rover for many a year, and I spent all my money on whiskey and beer. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Stand By Your Nan podcast with me, Rachel Sandbrooks. I'm a stand-up and writer making this podcast about grandmothers. This episode is about memory and memoir and identity. And it is entitled, Who Do You Think You Are, Alright? This episode's interview is with comedian Steve Day, who has done several one-man shows at Edinburgh Fringe. He's also written for BBC Radio 4 Comedy. And his show Adventures in Dementia was live at Edinburgh Festival in 2018. And hopefully it's going on tour again now we're out of lockdown. And it's a memoir of his father. So I thought who better to ask about memory and memoir. In some families, you have titles like Duke or Princess or Lady Something. In my family, you also have a title, R. Like I'm R.H. You're right, R.H. My mum, Sandra, is R.San. You're right, R.San. Which I think sounds a bit like a toilet cleaner. But I'm just glad we never had a Medillo. You're right, I'm Medillo. Or even a Mageddon. You're right, I'm Mageddon. Or a Saul. You're right, our Saul. Yeah. Well, that was my nan's side of the family. The one I heard the stories about. As she was born in 1911 and died in 2009, her life nearly spanned the whole of the 20th century. In fact, grands do span the whole of histories. I mean, you can count them all the way to the origins of the species. I reckon it only takes 60 grands to get to Jesus. My nan changed her name from Edith to Eve at some point. I'm not sure when, but I think it should have been changed into something more exotic, knowing her, like rainbow moonshine, rainbow for the new age beliefs, and moonshine for the homemade gooseberry wine that tasted like paint stripper. I wonder if it was because so many women were called Edith back then and she wanted to stand out. Like both my sets of grandparents were called Edith and George. Nan's dad was also called George. I mean, did they lack imagination? I explored our family tree and I found on both sides of my family... Going back 200 years or so, no one even left Birmingham. If they did Who Do You Think You Are on me, it would be the shortest programme ever. Each generation had labourer-type jobs. Leather workers, pole button makers, though great-granddad was a jeweller. I got excited when I saw what looked like lawyer on my dad's side, but then, looking closer, it was an S, not an L. It was a Sawyer. And that's someone who saws logs. You can see why Eve wanted to spice it up a bit. She used to tell me, We come from a long line of white witches. My dad was the seventh son of the seventh son. And my sister Mildred is a mystic. So is she the seventh daughter, Nan? No, 
the seventh. Now I'm the third daughter of the seventh son. So I'm the second daughter of the first daughter of the third daughter of the seventh son of the seventh son. Does that count? Yes, well, my grandma did read the tea leaves. So there you have it. We were special. We weren't just working class labourers. We had the gift. And that would make a much better programme, wouldn't it? Who do you think you are? White witch, green witch, before that, 60 white witches, then Jesus. My nan loved to recite poetry. I begged her to do my favourites like, Oh, little brown seed, won't you come out to play? And the lone fishbowl one, which was a Harvard drinking song. And after a bit of persuading, she'd be up and reciting a legend in her own living room. Because her first dream as a child was to be a music hall star. And these little performances came out all day, every day. At the front door, she'd greet you in verse with, Hail, fair spirit of the morn, I see thee and rejoice. Come, let me clutch thee. And then she'd give you a big hug, without fail. I don't know what the milkman thought. She also wanted to be a yogi mystic and an artist, but her dream that was eternally thwarted was being a bus conductor, a clippy on the buzzes. It was when the Second World War broke out, she reckoned she could finally get her dream man's job, but then it turned out she was pregnant and not allowed. But I'm glad, because at least that meant I existed. She was pregnant with my mum. She was just an ordinary woman trying to have an extraordinary life for all the dreams she had. What made her special? Our lives and roles have changed so much over the years. Are we really turning into our ancestors or forging a new path? Who do you think you are? interview. Welcome to Stand By Your Nan, Steve. Uh, Steve Day, your show Adventures in Dementia was going before lockdown and I really wanted to see it um, and I also, because of the family stories, and I also just knew that there was lots of lovely feedback about it. So when I was going to do the podcast, you were one of the first names I thought of for Wouldn't It Be Great to get Steve on because you've written and you've uh, spoken about these hidden stories these ordinary ordinary people's stories really and about how families um affect you and seeing yourself as a kind of part of something bigger as well so um, i was interested to hear more and i also thought yeah it'd be really great to get you on and talk about that so um yeah first of all i always say this because it's stand by your nan uh, I want a nanecdote. This is my big pun <laughs> of the <laughs> So can you um, tell us about your grandmothers? Yeah, I have um, two. My, my whole family from Lowestoft, uh, Suffolk, and they're all connected to fish. Both my grand, my one, my maternal grandmother, my mother's mother, was from Scotland. And my grandfather was a fisherman. And they used to follow the herring um, shoals up the coast to North Scotland and back down again every year. And then one year he came back with Meg, Margaret, and they married. And she was a very 
like a, a few Scots people, she was a lovely lady, but seemed a bit sort of severe, if you didn't know her. And she actually, uh, I'm going to talk about dementia a bit, I think with, about my dad. She actually had severe uh, dementia. And that, what happened to my mum was her mother and then her husband both got dementia. When we, um, when my grandmother, my grandfather died and my grandmother moved out and they cleared the house, they found more than 20 bottles of Bailey's Irish cream in different, <laughs> secreted, <laughs> hidden in different places around <laughs> uh, the house. But she, um, she was put into care, but they couldn't hold her. She, this is what happened in her later life, developed this, this it, talent for escape. And she, she was picked up twice, but the second time the police picked her up and it was a different police car and they didn't know who she was and she couldn't say who she was. She thought she still lived in Scotland and they held her. She was held for eight hours until she, they found out who she was. And the, the third, her best escape was, it's something like cold it, was it, she had an appointment at the hospital which she was taken to and somebody wasn't concentrating and then she managed to ram an exit with one of those gurneys, you know, like a trolley. And she actually escaped through the, through the, and she, they found her on the street with a, a hospital gown on. And she said, I'm off the Buckpool, which is uh, where she used to live in Scotland. My other grandmother, Millie, my, my uh, father's mum, uh, she, um, she was a talented lady, but in, grew up in, in poverty. She worked in, uh, as a domestic you know, servant, as most people, or something to do with the fishing industry, you know, in the season. But she was a published poet as a, as a, as a schoolgirl. She, she showed this talent for poetry, but it was sort of not the thing that they did or were able to do. And my mum says, she is me. My mum said, you are her. Oh, she wow. said, you are so like grandma. Nana day she was called, you are so like her. And because I didn't know anything about the poetry thing until, until after she died. But she, she couldn't go to university. She you know, should have done and ended up in domestic service. And she married and had my father and my uncle Peter is dead now, but he had what would now be called a learning disability, a severe a mentally handicapped, it was called when I was young and her husband died in the war so she had this grinding poverty and all these people mouse to feed and all that and was never able to express her artistic talent which she obviously was and so i'm so lucky i went to university when it was basically free and i've been able to be a professional performer and speak for a living and i was just in that age group where you could have that now it's become it's starting again now you're gonna it's going to be posher people who are able to, do you know what I mean? The arts boomed in the 70s and 80s where anybody could could become an artist and express their talent. And now it seems like that window's closing again. That makes me so sad. So, but both my grandmothers had dementia. And that's, um, when my dad had it, it was, it, it, we thought, well, at least it won't be as bad as that. But, but yeah, it was. Yeah. Um... Sorry, I didn't mean to add. I wanted no. to finish on a laugh. But <laughs> no, I felt bad for laughing at your nan 
No, don't. And it's, this is the thing escaping about... from hospital. But no, no. Yeah, anybody, all the people I know who, who had relatives and loved ones with dementia, you've got to laugh at the funny bits. Yeah. Absolutely, because it is so unremittingly awful that yeah. you've got to laugh and find the funny, and don't feel guilty about finding the funny, because think... there's an awful lot of darkness. It's really, it's really lovely to remember kind of who they were as younger kind of women as well, or as younger people. I always think that's that, sir, because my, my dad had dementia and it's now since he's gone, it's more about remembering what he was before that. And I think that's, you know, part of this, I guess, is like my nan died after being 98. She was actually didn't have anything like that so she was very uh kind of articulate to the end but she um you know she had this whole life and that's kind of why I've decided to try and explore these stories because they get lost don't they they get hidden and especially if somebody's had something like dementia for a long time it's like their whole lives just get forgotten and it's really nice to kind of bring it back to well who was that person who was that young person who had their poem published I mean that's amazing I know you think well I think of them as the lady you're forced to go and visit and have the soft biscuits out of the you know, f- fight over the, we used to call it the Viscount, yes, the Viscount, you know, the yeah. one in the in the wrapper, because that would be the only one that wouldn't have gone soft in the six months since we were last there. And, but they, people with lives of, my, my granddad, my, my mum's mum, the, the fisherman, he was a, a trawler skipper, captain, and we didn't know any of this, because he used to talk about that, and how they landed so many, you know, fish and all that. But he, in the war, was a minesweeper, because wow. fishermen and on D-Day, I'm not really militaristic, I don't know anything about but the, the minesweepers were sent in before anybody else on D-Day to clear the path so the other ships could sort of get the sorry, I, I, it chokes me up to think about it. Had they not been successful, the whole thing would have failed. Wow. And they're under so much in so much danger. And he know, but it was one of those things that he didn't talk about it. He never talked about it until okay. ever. And I only found it out because my mum went through some papers and we found some war records and he'd been um, decorated and all this and not even mentioned it, you know. I found out the name of his ship and the number and whatever. And the, the, the sister ship to his one was actually Jack Cousteau. Do you remember Jack Cousteau? Yeah. The undersea, his ship... Um, what was the Calypso? I am Jacques Cousteau. This is my ship, the Calypso, was actually one of the minesweepers from their squadron. Oh, wow. In, in the war. And we don't know if it was the actual, because it, it could have been on the Calypso. You don't know these things, though, do you? <laughs> so my granddad did all this, but he was just like a friendly old man who played with us when we were kids, you know, done all this and never mentioned it. I think there's something about that, isn't there? Like, um, in especially when I talk about hidden histories, a lot of the time it's that either they're people who've been through the war and they won't speak about it. So, I mean, you know, I've never been through a war, so I don't know why you might kind of be quiet about that. Maybe you need to be. Maybe yeah, there's yeah. some kind of self-preservation in there. Right. And then we get this kind of feeling that maybe men don't talk about their feelings, but I wonder if it's because 
uh, thinking back, like in our histories, we've got these very silent men. I mean, my granddad didn't actually go through that because uh, uh, he had one leg shorter than the other. He was born with a club foot and things. So he, he was quite a loud man, but he actually turns out he couldn't do any of those kinds of things. I don't think it ever stopped him. But, um, yeah, it's my, interesting. My granddad it? wasn't silent, uh, quiet at all about anything <laughs> else, about anything else to do yeah. with the sea, sailing, and he'd have these stories and you know what it was and it would go on and he, he went to America to pick up this ship and all about, about the specifics. I think it's because it was just so, so hard, you know, so yeah. terrifying. It's just one of those things you just, just don't go on. He's a modest man as well, so... So maybe that was that was that was part of it, you know. Yeah. But the, all it meant, with the, especially with my dad's story, that he grew up without a father, and he was the man of the house from God, you know, from as long as he can remember. So all these things have shaped me that happened way before, way before I was born. You know, I'm basically the re-embodiment of his mother, according to my mum. And my dad had obviously that big effect on me, and all that comes from the 1930s, really. You know, yeah. to, to who I am now. And I try and pass on the good bits to my kids, to, sort of thing. So we are. I mean, we're products of our genetics and also the nurturing and all that that we that we got. This goes back. It goes back years, doesn't it? You know. I was interested in that. I was going to ask you about that actually, about how you think that kind of especially because you've been writing about it so maybe you were um looking into it more than you would have done so when you wrote your show you might have focused more on what happened in your in your family history because I found writing this like like how I am as an identity I kind of when you're younger you just think you're separate from everyone else don't you and you were just like born that way and now I look back and there's actually like you say there's quite a lot of artists in my family there's quite a lot of people who were into performing my nan used to um like memorize poems and then recite them in her living room constantly and she'd answer the door she'd open the door and go hail fair spirit of the morn (laughs) I like that. Yeah, so she was always on. And I I realised that that's such a big influence on me and I didn't even think about it before. So how do you think you've been influenced by... Well, I I remember up to about the age of 15, hoping that I would be told I was adopted. I don't don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) No, you you were born to a different life. And, um, but, but they, but our family, not secretive, but just not interested in that sort of, you know, the artistic side of things was kind of, it's like a shameful family secret. Yeah. You know, that my nan was a, a published poet. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's a young woman now. Oh, nobody to hear about that. And there are a few things in my family's history that are kind of slightly shrouded in mystery for reasons I don't know. But, my um, my granddad, as I said, the, the, the ship captain, when he died, and he was a much a massively popular man, I, we hadn't realised, and some people turned up, you know, from out of the woodwork sort of thing, and there was a, a guy who'd been brought up by my nan and granddad who we had no idea about. Um, my mum was a bit uh, vague about, who is he? Like, we don't... <laughs> no, no, 
we just don't know. And it's all about, okay, yeah, don't ask any more questions, sort of thing. So I'm, I'm sure these things happen in all families and all that, you know. It's just, we were just laughing. I've got two brothers, and we're just mostly laughing about it more than anything else, you know. I've forgotten about it till now. I'm like, it's it's ever, is it like a long lost foster sibling or something? Yeah, some, they they raised this guy. He's a nice guy, but I we had he never been mentioned. It was like in EastEnders or something, you know. And, oh yes, it's the sister. We've not mentioned her, but yeah, she, a new character comes in. It was a bit like that. Was like, Who is he though? It's Michael, and we never we haven't seen him again. We haven't seen him since. So <laughs> it was like a spin off. That didn't really go anywhere. Scrappy do. <laughs> it's like I was. I'm always really fascinated by where you get these kind of. Yeah, the reality sometimes is is more interesting than the myth. But I think my family they used to just kind of have loads of myths around it to make it sound a bit more exciting. Like um, I know, even though my dad's obviously it, my the grandmother I'm talking about in this show is on is on my mum's side, it's my maternal grandmother. But my dad kind of had this myth that he was somehow Welsh and that we were related to being <laughs> Welsh. And since, <laughs> and since he's died, we kind of did a bit of digging, but also we did it before then. We were thinking, hang on, he's always told us we're part Welsh. And that's why he, um, <laughs> he supports the Welsh rugby right and we found out he's never been Welsh we've got no Welsh connections in our family tree at all on either side as well so there's no just like this like we want to be more exciting yeah. <laughs> being from Birmingham and being like English is really boring what can we add in? <laughs> be a bit Welsh <laughs> And we do have to we do have to support Welsh rugby <laughs> in his honour. <laughs> do you have anything like that you think where somebody in your family's gone, actually, I don't want to be um this fisherman, I want to be something else. I am secretly <laughs> I feel a bit like that if I go to an Irish bar, I think I must be a bit Irish. <laughs> I must be. I, must, I like getting well, I don't drink now anyway, but I like Guinness, so but we're not connecting. We're not Celtic at all. We're um, we're Scandinavian, if anything, I think, and part Gypsy. I know that 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 was true. We're oh. part part Romany, so. Um, Where's that, that in your family? Do you think? Um, the the trawler man Leo, his mother was full Romany Gypsy. Oh. She lived to be. I remember she was. She's my great great. No, great grandmother. She lived to be ninety, which then those days for that kind of, you know, the class of people we were was quite, you know, was like a massive old age and all that. So, but she's like one of those vague memories, like, and she 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 did grow up in a caravan with a horse and all that, you know, sort of wow. proper stuff sort of thing. So, but my life for the last twenty years up to last year has been driving and doing gigs. So, it's sort of like Romany part and then that performer writing part these are the two things that i've done but they're the two things i feel most at home doing so um maybe i mean maybe there's something in it fortune yeah. telling you know i could start fortune telling 
I, I love that idea that I think as a stand-up, you are a bit of a nomad, aren't you? So you've, yeah. I love the idea that you've got somebody in your family that was in the proper caravan. Yeah, like, I know. Just, uh, apparently they were well, you know, like Romany. Everybody Romany says they were Romany kings and all that, don't they? Yeah. So, but it's like, and my, my wife's, um, my wife's Ghana, part Ghana and part, part Nigerian, like half and half. And apparently she was descended from the chief. But everybody I know from Ghana and Nigeria says that, that they, were, they were all descended from the chief. But, so, yeah, right. I think my granddad once said that, um, <laughs> I think he decided he was illegitimate kind of grandson or son of the Earl of Dudley or something. And it was ah. just a completely made up kind of, <laughs> We must have some aristocracy somewhere. You know that there's a those series of books like How Green Was My Valley, which yeah. like are the epitome of Welshness. It turned out R.F. Delderfield, or whatever his name was, wasn't Welsh at all. <laughs> he made it up, and he made a fortune out of this like fake Welshness. And but that the Welsh celebrated their culture in these books and all that. It was just a complete lie. But oh, that's a bit awkward, isn't it? <laughs> That's like our whole kind of, yeah, that's like the whole kind of myth around your yeah. heritage, isn't it? And it's interesting just talking to you. You can hear from like you had a fisherman who was went up to Scotland and brought down a Scottish wife and things like this. And your wife is is kind of has African heritage. Like you don't have to go very far, do you, to when you start to look at people's family histories to see how they kind of span the globe and they span yeah. centuries. Yeah. It's just fascinating. I don't know if we're unusual or not. I don't know. It's not particularly it's not as though I've gone out to find, you know, different no. widen the gene pool or something. <laughs> or they, <laughs> My my wife was a she was an athlete she's a runner, she, and she ran for Great Britain in the Olympic Games at Atlanta ni- nineteen ninety six. Although she doesn't mention it more than once a day. <laughs> and so I must admit, when we got married, I thought, oh, the kids might be all three of my kids are. I've got five, you no, know, two stepkids, but three that are my kind of you know um, directly sort of like blood related to me. All, yeah. We're all really good footballers. So, yes, come on. Come on. But it's been great. It's been a great part of life, just, you know, like watching them play. And all. That was one of the saddest things. When my dad got dementia, my dad was a, a good footballer. It skipped a generation with me. Yeah. But my son was playing for Preston North End. Um, oh, wow. and he played, he played for the reserves. And he was doing really well. He got injured in his dream. Never. It's not over his dream, but, he, you know, he's 21 now and it's less likely. But it looked like he was going to make it. And um, my dad would have been so proud. He would have been so proud of this. But he go, went to the games and he wouldn't be able to recognise. He didn't know it was his grandson. Oh, That's one of the saddest things. And mm. um, my son actually for Christmas got, you know, footballers where if they're the sub, they wear those big padded jackets, like sort of basically sleeping bags. Yeah. They're really warm. Because my dad didn't have a jacket for watching football, you see. And my son got him one from Preston, like a proper... The oh, Preston wow. Club thought they, they were really nice and they gave him this absolutely beautiful jacket and uh, my dad refused to wear it because they thought we were stealing his old jacket. Oh, uh, it was, really it was one of the, But my dad would have been so proud of... He'd have been walking up and down with this... My grandson gave me this jacket. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's one of the things that 
robbery of dementia. Yeah. And it's like the person who it was, they don't die, but they're gone. And you can't you can't grieve because they're still there, but they've gone, if you know what I mean. You can mm. sort of you can sort of grieve in instalments, but yeah. It's not and it wasn't until my dad actually died that it kind of hit me. And it wasn't even then, because it was sort of euphoria. It sounds horrible, but we were kind of almost cheering when he died because it was over for him. You know, the yeah. pain and suffering was over for him. And then I wrote the show about him, I celebrate him. So it, it kept, the, kept the ball juggling and it still didn't hit me. And then about a year after that, it really, it really hit me that, you know, the grief and all that just yeah. all came and hit me. And um, that's the best thing about doing a show about it was to get that out and actually express that. Although sometimes during that show, I just couldn't finish the sentence because it was too upsetting. And now with enough distance, nearly three years now, enough distance has passed. It's, it's painful, but it's not that, that level of pain where I can't even say the words anymore. But it's just small instances that things I know my grand, my dad would have liked, loved, absolutely been so proud of. He was actually there taking it in and not, not even aware of what was what was going on, you know. Yeah. Can I tell my story about it's a relief though, isn't it? it this is true. It's a relief when someone with dementia dies. A relief that their suffering's over and that he no longer has to shell out for the hospital car park. <laughs> that may sound cruel, but that's absolutely four quid an hour. And the hospital was in Watford. The parking spaces were so narrow, and this was so stressful. It was, it was, you could get in the space, but then you couldn't get out of the car. If you see what I mean, yeah. it was, they were making so much money from the car park, they made the spaces. So you had to like get three quarters of the way and let everybody get out and then get in the space and then sort of do a Houdini thing to try and get out without touching the, you know, bashing your door on the. Well, the escapologist in you would be exactly. good at that, that you got from your nan with her um, gurney against the walls. Maybe she'd yeah. be good at that. It's already a pain, though, your dad's in hospital. got dementia. I can't yeah. get out of a car. Can't even it's get a... out. Yeah. Well, in the end, I look, you know, I put on a load of weight. And this, I think this was kind of like eating my feelings and all that. And I, I since then, I've lost about 30 kilos because wow. of in a kind of almost like recovery because it something's got a crack somewhere that I was I was doing trying to do stand-up so I was going out to make people laugh having spent the day with my dad who it, the not funniest situation uh, you know of all time and trying to be uh, I've got other you know we've got kids and all that so I run family life and all that there's something that's got to give somewhere and I think I got it medicated by food <laughs> And um, but I got fit and I'm in lockdown and all that. It's really helped, and I've, 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 I'm really fit now. But I don't know. My show is a bit old in the tooth now. It's a, it's not the immediate thing that it was. Mm. But grief in because of COVID and all that, a lot of people have lost a lost someone, and it's something I want to do and develop into something that it's helped me and to help them because there's things you can say about your person you've lost as you say the person that they were to celebrate the person and find the funny find the 
for people now, I mean, they can't even grieve, can they? You know, having Zoom funerals and people in care homes can't, you can't even go and, but that would help some people. And I know some people, for them, and this sounds harsh, but had my father caught a respiratory disease that saw him off in two weeks when he was deeply in dementia, I would have took that for him rather than the, the two or three more years that he had of pain, you know, just being in torture. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But we had a meeting at the hospital and they said, uh, we want to know your feelings about putting him on a um, DNR, you know, do not resuscitate. And you've never seen people agree more quickly to that than us. And it's not cruel. I, and I said to my wife, do something, don't let me, I don't know how, I don't want to be like that. I, I want you to know now, I, I don't, it's no point getting to that point in life, you know, keep some, keep me alive just for sort of thing. So I hope she doesn't take that too. <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to piss her off now, do you? He's getting a bit forgetful, isn't he? But I do, I am, I'm, you know, mid 57, so I, I'm quite, mm. I should think there should be a thing where, you know, if you're at the bottom of the stairs, you say into a machine while you're going upstairs, and then when you get to the top, uh, a matrix board flashes and reminds you what it was. <laughs> so, so that you haven't wasted the trip. I, I really need that. I really no. do. I just carry the other thing it. I went in the kitchen the other day and I couldn't remember what I'd got in the kitchen. So I thought, well, I'll make a cup of tea and it might come back. So I made a cup of tea and that's when I realised I'd gone in the kitchen for a cup of tea, which <laughs> kind of like solved, solved itself. <laughs> that's brilliant. I, think but that's... I, I must admit, because well, there's so much previous history of dementia in our family, oh. I, I do, I'm, I'm scared of that. Um, that's a, a big, a big. Hopefully, there'll be a cure, or, or something, or you know, or the family will be able to kind of throw me off a cliff or something. Yeah, tastefully. I think um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about actually was um, so your mum was the carer for your dad for all that time, and uh, you call her a quiet hero in your. Yeah, absolutely. She took the brunt of it. And um, my dad didn't just, I, people get the wrong idea, they think Alzheimer's is, you know, that someone just sits there talking about the war or something. My dad became horrible, mm. completely different person. It, they were married for um, 59 years, and 59 years is a, a long time. And in all that time, my mum never heard my dad swear, not once. And then, I can't say the actual words on your podcast. So one day, he looked at my mum and said, who the F are you? 59 years of marriage and he in anger said oh the f of you she said i'm sheila he said no sheila's a young woman you ugly effing and my mom was distraught you know this man should be married to all that time and uh, so as i said i've got two brothers and we all said the same thing to my mom that it's not dad anymore it's not him and she kind of went no 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 dementia has finally revealed what he was thinking all along oh but, that's a shame. But we found that hilarious, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's what, that was the reality of it. But finally, it was the, the only way to cope with it. 
it didn't mean that he would hate, you know, the man who he was would just be aghast yeah. that he'd. But that's what happens. That's what dementia is like for a lot of, a lot of people. My dad's best friend, he played football, and the link with dementia and football to me is absolutely um, definite because there's a they had a reunion a few years ago when I was looking for old photographs back in Lowestoft, Lowestoft Town they played for. So it was a non-league team, but good good standard. You know. mm. They had a reunion, and out of that picture, I think out of nine people in the picture, eight actually succumbed to dementia in the end. And his, his good friend, um, Gordon, came to a gig when I was in. I went back to Lowestoft to do a gig, and Gordon came, and they were so worried because he got just absolutely foul-mouthed, and he couldn't control it. But he was fine. It was great. But he, he got unmanageable as well. It just it's absolutely... Not like Tourette's. It's just, just full-on swearing and meaning it, but not really meaning it, if, yeah. if you know what I mean. It's... Um, it's a side of things you don't you don't really hear about so much, but it's not it's not nice, you know. Yeah, I think um, there's quite a lot of things that people don't really talk about with that kind of thing. It's like that you just try and put it away, and I guess it's a little bit like we were talking about people not talking about the war and things like that. It's like when something's very traumatic, you try and um, kind of compartmentalize it or something, yeah but... but it can happen as well though i found it really hard to visit and i forced myself and i did because my mum was on her own with this man who could sometimes turn violent yeah and foul mouthed and all that and um but it's easy to say oh i can't go because they live in stevenage oh my mum still lives there Hertfordshire, and that's that's from here from birmingham Sutton Colford. it's 98 miles more than two hours to get there and it's all, you know, it's a bit of a pain going backwards and forwards, especially when you've got a gig afterwards. Yeah. But I forced myself to do it, and my two brothers did as well. But I know other families, people worse, family members have not. They've just ignored it. And I, but I do sympathise with them. I, I would never condemn anyone because I, I know how easy it would be to say, oh, oh, I can't, I can't face it. You know, it's it's not easy, but that would be leaving my mum on my own. So that was that was the main reason for. Can yeah. you and you you get, you kind of mind tiny little moments. My dad would come back sometimes a little bit, you know, just for a flash, and that one moment in the whole day you mind that, and that was that would be a good thing for the whole day. He wouldn't know what year he was in when he came back. I mean, but or what town, but. He'd be back for a bit and you can have a sort of conversation, you know. There are like moments to treasure. Um, one thing I did want to ask you was um, I mean, we've we've talked about kind of horrors of dementia and things like that 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 can happen when you get older, but um if you had an aspiration of what you wanted to be when you grow up, like this is how I'm putting it, because I'm 50 this year and I've decided that, you know, I'm just a spring chicken. <laughs> Um, what you want to be when you grow up, when you're like to be an old man, what kind of old man do you think you'd like to be? Well, I'm quite old. I'm 57. It's not, yeah. but I feel better now than I have for ages. So I, and I, I stopped, I stopped eating sugar. My brain feels much more, I, a load of things I put down to just being old and it will happen was a brain fog of, I don't know, like um, pre-diabetes or something. Yeah. But I don't, I don't want to ever grow up. And I, I, 
worked in IT for 13 miserable years. And it was so, and the best day I ever had at IT is still not better than the worst day I ever had doing stand-up comedy. So I decided I'm fed up of growing up. So I think it's 23 years, 1998, I stopped all that. Well, I didn't stop work for a bit, but I started doing stand-up comedy. And I want to never grow up and pass on to my kids. Just don't take it too seriously. Don't take life, don't take yourself too seriously. It's a good, good starting place. And I like that. Never grow up. The thing up. about following dreams and all that, and my son followed his dream of being a footballer. It looks like it's not going to work out, and it might be a bit awkward for a bit, but it's better that he did that than have gone into straight into an office job or something and regret the fact that he never gave it. He's only 21. He's still a good player. Plays semi-professionally locally, and it could still happen. But I'd hate him to think that he never gave it a go, and he did. You know, so. Um, I like to be, um, I, I don't know, just keep being funny. That's what I want to be. And yeah. I try, I do, I try and do loads of stuff on Facebook or Twitter just to do jokes, don't get into arguments and all that. There's so much kind of thinking, black and white thinking, just find the funny between. You don't have to have an opinion, a strong opinion about everything. You can't, you know, this is either what binary thinking one thing or the other is it's very dangerous obviously about things that you know you can be strong about but the things i don't know well an open mind is it so i'd like to be open-minded and i really 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 don't want to get dementia and if i do i'd like to be sort of you know nicely as i say pushed off a cliff or or, or something yeah. like that tastefully done but, I don't want to be bumbling around swearing at people. You know. Well, I, I do know a lot of that anyway, but I mean, not. not I, I do it under my own steam. So, <laughs> if Still I get to that stage. point, just yeah. take, take me somewhere and leave me. I don't know. I don't know the best way to do it. I should think about it. I should have a plan, shouldn't I? Like a living will of what to do when I, uh, when, if I go mental. That's a little bit heavy for me to feel the responsibility on my podcast if you start to do <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm, not well you, I'm not telling you to do it. I should do that. Uh, I declare <laughs> on the Standby On Land podcast. <laughs> that feels like a bit of pressure. <laughs> to my guest Steve Day. I really enjoyed that interview. We learned so much about his family. It's just fascinating. So we have a legacy to uphold maybe, but it's not something you can define that easily. I mean, if we're part of history, what future do we want our family to inherit? I know my nan didn't have much of a voice, so to be actually speaking her story is a privilege. This is actually what she left me, a voice. I couldn't do this if she hadn't recited poems, told me stories and excited my imagination with the magic of mystery. Thanks, Nan. Stand By Your Nan has been written and performed by Rachel Sambrooks, co-produced with Steve Keyworth and with music by Lewis Barfoot. It's a Gertie Words production funded by Arts Council England.